Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Because I do remember screaming in the car, like screaming and crying in the car. I was hardly on the run. But yes, he took me away and it was about nine months and I, and I didn't have the wake up that most people do. It was more like I was forced awake by getting arrested, which... It's, it's a very strange situation to feel like this affection and gratitude to the detective and officers who arrested me because they pulled me out of a bad situation, mm -hmm. even though I was getting, you know, and it wasn't so much in that moment, even though I was, I was appreciative that in the moment they were very kind to me because I had Leon with me. And so I was freaking out that Leon was going to go to a pound and I was really worried about Leon and they, they, they were very kind in that in the situation in the moment, but you know, that's what pulled me out of it. And I, when I think about what if that hadn't happened, what if they hadn't gotten to me, how long would this have dragged on? Like would, how long, what would have happened otherwise? I don't know what people ask me that a lot. Like, well, what was his plan? What were you guys doing in Tennessee, which is where we were arrested? I don't know. I have no idea what we were doing there. I have no idea what the plan was. I have no idea you know, well, did he have money? I have no idea. I think at that point he had run out of money and I was tapped dry in terms of what he could get out of me. Yeah. Getting arrested is what yanked me out of it. And I know that sometimes, you know, I think in other people's cases, I think even Steve Pawson in his book writes about having gotten into a horrible car accident. Yes. You know, that was the thing to kind of get him temporarily out and then he got fully out. So sometimes it is like a, it's an extreme. a horrible accident or getting arrested and physically being yanked away from him. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Since my interview with Joey, I've now spoken with Sama, and I'm really grateful to her for that. She was in flow a lot of the time, and I too asked a lot of questions, and I'm going to share with you what I discovered throughout this episode. I also did a bit more digging into the documentarian who made Bad Vegan and the genesis of the docu-series. I believe the context of the docu-series and when it premiered is really important. So it premiered on March 16th, 2022 on Netflix, hot on the heels of the puppet master 
and the Tinder swindler, both of which I've deconstructed in my two cents. I think there may well have been a decision made that there had to be lots of twists and turns, but that it also needed to feel and look very different, i.e. no mention of coercive control, when that is exactly what this case is all about, and I'm going to explain more in this episode. Now, the four-part series is directed and executive produced by Chris Smith, a fellow Brit who helmed library films. And by the way, he's also the executive producer of Tiger King, Murder, Mayhem and Madness, which took the world by storm and was the most streamed documentary on Netflix. While Chris also directed Fire, The Greatest Party That Never Happened, earning him four Emmy nominations, as well as HBO's 100-Foot Wave and The Disappearance of Madeleine McCann, which was the top-viewed programme on Netflix in the UK in 2019. Now, full disclosure, I've seen all of these shows, and I'll let you in on a secret just between you and I. I couldn't stand Tiger King, but many of you asked for me to do some analysis of it as you couldn't really understand what you were seeing. And one of my thoughts at the time was, perhaps that was the intention. And season two promises, and I quote, just as much mayhem and madness as season one. You see, for me, the clue is in the title. And if you're interested, we broke down season one on Real Crime Profile. But I'll share with you, my favorite show of his is a non-crime docu-series. It's a hundred foot wave that's on HBO, no contest. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. You're welcome. So going back to Bad Vegan, the two other executive producers are Ryan Fraser, who's Chris's partner. That's important. And also, she produced Tiger King 2 and Mark M's. So before I dive in with my analysis, I just want you to take a moment to think about the title of the show, Bad Vegan, Fame, Fugitives and Fraud. Just think about that for a minute and I'll read to you the Netflix blurb about the show. After marrying a mysterious man who claimed he could make her dog immortal, a vegan restaurateur finds her life veering off the rails. So this is a case that we learn about via the lens of the series. And that's a male lens. And there's also, for me, a lot of male energy and framing. And that's important, as is the title, Bad Vegan. You see, straight away, it sets Sama up as the person with the bad behaviour, and it steers us to place Sama directly under the microscope. And the blurb, yes, that's a technical term for those of us who are in the business, well, it's a simplistic take, and it sounds bonkers, but that's the framing. I can feel the male energy emanating from it. So let's talk about the origin of the docuseries first off. So director Chris Smith was a self-described fan of the once-famous restaurateur and couldn't understand how this could happen to Salma. And after Salma was released from prison, he and executive producer Mark M sat down with her for an interview. Now that interview ended up lasting eight hours. And that's the Salma interview that we see across the docuseries. Now, Chris explained in an interview with IndieWire that he doesn't like to pre-interview someone and that he likes to capture things first off. And as somebody who's made documentaries, that makes sense to me. But I'm going to explain what I mean and why it's important to understand the origin of the docuseries and also the setup for an interview, because it has relevance with what we're seeing on camera. So firstly, Sama being featured in this way across the series means that we put her under the microscope. 
She's the subject in the title, don't forget. And therefore, everything about her is under the microscope. Her expressions, her tone, her clothing, her words, what she says. We're invited and encouraged to analyse and scrutinise her with the framing that she's bad. And the context is that she's talking to them after prison. You see, it's clear to me that this is one of her first interviews, and I mean in-depth interview about what happened. It's reminiscent to me of many conversations I've had with victims when they don't really understand themselves what's happened and when they don't really have the language to describe what's gone on and they're still processing and trying to make sense of it. And the fact that Sama doesn't have all the answers, well, that unfortunately works against her. But to me, as an expert, when I'm looking and analysing, it's a potential indicator that someone may have been gaslit In other words, they don't really know which way is up. And I see trauma and confusion, but others may interpret that as evidence of deception, withholding, and that she's not to be trusted. I have to say that I was also questioning her and what I was seeing to begin with, as well as the fact there was a lack of remorse, i.e. we don't see any apology across the series. She doesn't apologise to her staff or the people that she hurt, and the only person that she feels upset about appears to be her mother. And again, that's how the docuseries has framed her. However, despite the whack title, I believe what I'm seeing is PTS, post-traumatic stress, and I'm not calling it PTSD because I don't believe it's a disorder. For me, all the behaviours and tactics that she describes point to coercive control. Put another way, strangest coercively controlled Sama. She wasn't in a coercively controlling relationship. I want to make sure the actor is in there. Strangest, coercively controlled Sama. He controlled almost every aspect of her life and he turned her world upside down so that she didn't know which way was up. And remember, the call that we hear at the start of the docuseries tells us about that absolute control he has over her. So back to Sama's interview. We see Sama in a sterile environment, cool blue surrounding her for purpose. And let's not forget she's being quizzed by two men, as well as a crew being around her. And most likely, those two men and others don't understand coercive control. Therefore, when she's talking about certain aspects of the relationship, particularly the behaviours that relate to sexual behaviours, well, she's clearly uncomfortable. Now, even with a seasoned and experienced domestic violence advocate and risk assessor asking the question on the DASH risk model, the questions that relate to sexual acts, well, as I always say in training, that question is the most difficult to ask as well as for victims to answer. So it's no surprise that she's uncomfortable talking about this. However, she brought it up and therefore it's relevant. But my question was when I first saw the documentary, was it ever properly explored? So that was my initial note. I've since found out from her that she shared all the intimate details of what he made her do, but that this section was left on the cutting room floor. So that was an intentional decision, and I have to ask the question, why? Why was it left on the cutting room floor? You see, sexual abuse is critical to understanding someone's behaviour. If Sama was forced to perform degrading and or humiliating sexual acts or coerced into sex, this is relevant If sexual abuse is repeated over time, the impact is the erosion of self-esteem and self-confidence, and it's degrading and dehumanising, and it makes someone feel powerless. 
Through all my experience of working cases, I can share with you that sexual abuse co-occurs with coercive control. It's motivated by power and control. Rape is used as a punishment, and it's used as a mechanism to utterly dominate another. It's about reaffirming the power imbalance. You see, the devil is in the detail with cases, and sexual abuse and sexual harm is very relevant in coercive control cases. Importantly, as I said before, at times, Sama has no answers to some of the questions. For example, when she was pressed on why she withheld from the restaurant investor Jeffrey Chowderow that Michael was in fact her husband, she didn't know what to say. Sama also didn't know what to say when pressed about why she went on the run with strangers. And Sama did go on the run with strangers, but I doubt that she saw it as that at the time. Remember she had been evicted from her apartment. Pure food and wine had closed down. She owed money, and lots of it. When the police came to the hotel in Tennessee to arrest them, she stuck her head out of a separate hotel room to see what was going on, and when police asked her what her name was, she gave a different name. Now I want to point out that it is possible for these four things to be true. 1. That Sama was coercively controlled by strangers. 2. That Sama did not know that she was being controlled. 3. That Sama did not have the answers to some of the questions that were put to her by the documentarians at the time. 4. That Sama might lie or withhold information. Now I want to give another context in that we don't always know why someone withholds information or may not be truthful when they're being abused, but in my experience, it sometimes comes down to the unfortunate power that shame, humiliation and judgment hold over someone. And another common reason is fear. Fear of the perpetrator, fear of breaking the rules and fear of victim blaming and believing that you cause the abuse. And often, with a victim of coercive control and or domestic abuse, when they speak, we hear the abuser's voice rather than the victim's. That's the gaslighting and the brainwashing, the reprogramming that takes place over time, the fact that he switches her language, and it's all for purpose, and it has a serious and profound impact. And so that may well have been Sama's truth at the time, and I believe that she'd stopped challenging and stopped questioning and that she'd just given up. Many victims do. I see the erosion of self, of agency and autonomy over time. In my opinion, it's highly likely that even she didn't know and may still not fully understand how she got to that place. That's not uncommon in my professional experience. I also want to share with you that I've watched some of the video footage that strangers took of Sama. And I've watched much more than what was in the docu-series, and I'm going to share one of the recordings with you. But before I do, I want to pre-warn you that this is distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Stop ripping her at your fucking face, Sarma. You can't walk around with your fucking face all ripped up. Stop ripping at your goddamn face. You understand me? Calm yourself the fuck down. Sama, they're gonna fuck you. You're gonna end up in a goddamn institution. Calm down. You can hear how distressed Sama was. She's lying on the bed, sobbing. Rather than strangers showing any compassion or comfort, he stood there filming her. Why? 
Again, this seems to me to be a very callous thing to do, given her level of distress. He also swears at Sama, and his tone is angry. He tells her that she'll be institutionalised. That's not a helpful comment. In fact, none of his comments will improve how Sama is feeling. He demonstrates a clear lack of empathy, and it begs the question, what was he going to do with this footage? Was he going to weaponize it and use it against Sama? Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Now, in all the footage that I viewed, it's clear to me that Sama had in fact given up. In another video, Sama had taken many sleeping pills, and Strangest claimed on camera that he had saved her by taking them out of her mouth. He then made her shower, and he wouldn't let her sleep. Now, these video clips were recovered by the district attorney from Strangest's phone. Yet at the time, Sama didn't even know he was filming her, and she told me that her lawyer at the trial had never shown her these video clips. This is exactly the type of evidence that could and should have been used as part of Sama's defence, evidencing coercive control. It's incredibly hard at times to rationally explain the power someone has over you when you're in it, and I mean in it, and when you've lost touch with reality. But this video evidence helps paint the picture. When you're totally dependent on another... When that person has taken you away from all other support and you're completely isolated, when that person is not operating in your best interest and they monopolize your perception, when you've been gaslit to such a degree that you just don't know which way is up, the chaos strangers brought to Sama's life should not be underestimated. But the important point is he quickly controlled every part of her life, and I mean every part of her life. He was even talking with her investors and her family without her knowing. I'm going to explain how he did it, 
and why it's dangerous to nutshell this case as a successful woman making bad decisions and stealing two million from her restaurant because a bloke promised to make her dog immortal. So let's start where I always begin, with victimology. Who's Sama? Sama was born in Latvia. She grew up in Massachusetts. Her father was a physicist at MIT. Her mother was a chef. Sama graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a bachelor's degree in economics in 1994. She moved to New York City and worked in investment firms. But in 1998, she decided to pivot and study her passion, food. In 1999, she graduated from the French Culinary Institute. She then meets accomplished chef Matthew Kinney, and they become romantically involved. They go on to create one of the first popping raw vegan restaurants, Pure Food and Wine, in New York City, beloved by Alec Baldwin, Anne Hathaway, Stevie Wonder, Chelsea Clinton, and Tom Brady and Giselle, before being vegan was trendy. They get an investor to invest in their new and pioneering venture, Unfortunately, things don't work out between the couple, and it got messy. The investor chooses to back Sama over Matthew. Now that on its own is huge, and it's also unusual. You see, normally men stick together and back each other. But not Jeffrey. Jeffrey's different. He chooses Sama. So that's an interesting context, because that no doubt was very reassuring for her, but also anxiety-provoking. Sama had never done this on her own before, and now she's got to make it work and she's got to deliver. Sama's clearly a grafter, and her team seemed very supportive of her and totally bought into the vision of the restaurant, and they made it become a reality. Importantly, despite everything that's gone on, many of them still say nice things about her. It was a family rather than a business, and some of her former employees still to this day say how much they enjoyed working at Pure Food and Wine, Now that's huge and it talks to her character. Also, part of the subtext was that one of the conditions for Sama taking part in the Netflix docuseries was that she asked for Netflix to pay her staff. The money went through Sama's attorney to the staff. She apparently took no payment herself, but asked for them to be compensated. So people who know Sama, they talk about her being very giving and kind and generous and empathetic, All the traits and characteristics a skilled abuser and psychopath are drawn to. And let's not forget, successful. Sama also founded One Lucky Duck, which sold juices and takeaway from the restaurant. And she made them both a success. And Sama's beautiful too. Sama has model looks and no doubt that's a big draw. So she's successful and her high-end raw restaurant is a hit and it's popping. But she's lonely and she's looking for love. She wants a partner to share everything with. Everything she does is high pressure in a male-dominated industry. The restaurant business is not easy. Anyone who's worked in it can attest to this. And her sister, Ilzi, well, she provides a further context in the docu-series, and she talks about Sama when she was younger. She was quiet and shy and self-contained, and that she often felt like a misfit. Well, my sense of Sama is that she's somewhat introverted, given that she found being with people and socialising tough at the best of times and that it exhausted her and she liked to be more behind the scenes. But all her staff said that Sama worked hard and she wanted her businesses to succeed to such a point that sometimes she'd even sleep at the restaurant. She gets on with lots of people, befriending them and giving money to the homeless, allowing others to eat in the restaurant for free. More evidence prior to the documentary that she's empathetic and has a big heart. And that's important to underline. 
She's got a big heart. She's lonely. She wants a partner. And I have to say that all these things for me were very reminiscent of Deborah Newell. And I recently had a conversation with Deborah. And actually, she said to me, it really reminds me of me when I watched Bad Vegan. Looking for love, it can render you vulnerable. And of course, we learn that Sama fell for Alec Baldwin, who unfortunately for Sama falls for his now wife, having met her at Sama's restaurant. And that Sama went on to date another guy and she's heartbroken when that relationship ends. And then she meets Anthony Strangis online on Twitter. Only his profile name was Shane Fox. He had messaged Alec Baldwin and Sama knew Alec Baldwin. She believed that they knew each other and therefore there was a trusted frame of reference. Now the two talked for some time online first off and then texts back and forth. And the more they messaged, the more it seemed they had things in common. A love of dogs, animal rights, and ethical consumption. But when they met in real life, he's not the same as his picture. He's carrying much more weight, for example. Now, does that sound like someone who's into ethical consumption? But Sama didn't want to be shallow and quietened her doubts about him. As I always say, trust your instinct and your gut. It's never wrong. And Sama's dog, Leon, well, he loved strangers, and she sees it as a sign. Sama's into all of that, seeing things as a sign from the universe. See how easy it is to frame it, that if the dog, if Leon loves him, then he must be a good person. And the fact that he understood her, well, he listened to her, he really got her, he got her needs and motivations, and therefore she felt seen by him and valued and special. He no doubt asked her a lot of questions and lavished a lot of attention on her. And he also mirrored all that she wanted him to be. And he not only mirrored it, he magnified it back to her. He was everything she wanted and needed him to be. And I don't see cult-like person here. I see a coercive controller that's aimed his behavior, laser-focused on one, most likely chameleon-esque, And it sounds crazy out of context that he's forcing her to do these tests and she has to pass these tests to prove that she's worthy. But of course, he didn't lead with that. He had to get her under his control, first of all. So he love-bombed her to get her on the hook, selling her her, in inverted commas, happy ever after. That's what she was after. He took her to Tiffany's and told her to pick out jewellery to give the appearance that he had a lot of wealth and that money was no object. He understood her emotional temperature and what she was looking for, and he morphed into that. Sama talked about the drink at King Cole Bar after Tiffany's, and she said, I love you for the first time, and that she felt happy. Well, he replayed that back to her many times over, and that was all part of what I call the regrooming process. He took her to view amazing houses. She said she wanted her happy ever after, and that's what he offered her. In other words, he love-bombed her and accelerated the relationship. He understood the assignment. And even when she met his father, he backed up what Strangis had told her. Her staff had told Sama about him using the name Anthony Strangis online and that he'd been to prison and that he had other identities. But by that stage, Sama was too far gone. She was reeled in and under his control hook, line and sinker. And so she told them that it was no big deal. Well, that's most likely what he told her. That's his voice we're hearing. He would have downplayed it and linked it back to his so-called black ops days with his father backing him up. Then she most likely would have dismissed it. 
The other big red flag was his message to her friend, the homeless guy. He said he'd take care of Sama, inferring for him to muscle out and leave Sama alone. The fact that it felt like a red flag to him speaks volume. A guy who's lived on the streets, a guy who knows exactly what a predator looks like. But this is all part of the isolation, you see, clearing the ground for total control. To control someone, the coercive controller doesn't want friends and family bobbing around interfering. They want to ensure monopoly of the victim's mental perception, which leads in turn to utter domination. And once Strangers reels her in, only then he starts asking for money, but he dresses it up as a test that she has to pass, and then she'll access unlimited wealth. He understood the emotional temperature, her emotional temperature, and he kept feeding her exactly what she wanted to hear, what all women want to hear, that we're special, that we're smart, that we're not like other women, that we're in a meaningful and special relationship with someone else who's special, and that we're meant to be together, we're destined to be together, and that this person is helping us to reach our full potential. And that's what he promised her. He moves the needle so that they marry in less than a year in 2012, and importantly, they marry in secret. Even Sama's dad didn't know. Now again, keeping secrets is a way to push that person closer to you, and it creates codependency. And what it reveals to me is that Strangest is very manipulative, and he knows exactly what he's doing. How does he know what he's doing? I'll circle back to this momentarily. So how does Strangers know how to manipulate and control so well? Well, the simple answer is because he's done it before. Serial perpetrator alert, red flag. Again, this is exactly why I've been pushing so hard for a register for serial domestic abusers and stalkers. And I'm talking about coercive controllers in that too, not just those who physically harm or those who've been convicted. So who is Anthony Strangers, or Shane Fox, or whatever he calls himself now? We should be focusing on him, and I didn't see one headline about him. Why is that? Well, mainly because the media and others think that it's much more interesting to frame a successful and attractive woman. And despite the fact that Sama didn't order a Domino's pizza or eat it at any time, that's what the headline centred on, calling her the vegan vixen, the vegan Bernie Madoff, all these things. But why wasn't strangers catching those headlines? And why has the media been complicit in assigning guilt before she'd even been convicted of anything? It's quite unbelievable. At the time, it was known that strangers had criminal convictions. In fact, when you Googled him previously, his mugshot came up. Now that's a very clear sign who the problem is. And despite the fact that he abused and conned other women and men, and that he uses multiple names, and there are most likely other names that he uses too. And even though he abused his wife and walked out on his son, just one day, he just decided to walk out and never look back. Because even though he did all of that, he's somehow good enough. And the focus was on Sama. I mean, what utter bullshit is that? So let me walk you back to how he showed up, love-bombed, gaslit, and totally took control of Sama and her life. Well, firstly, he had a big social media following. So sometimes, as I discussed with the Tinder swindler, people see that as a positive. Newsflash, the blue tick doesn't mean that someone's safe, nor does having lots of followers. Plus the fact that he was messaging Alec Baldwin, Sama believed that somehow he could be trusted. And he's mysterious, 
He shares that he's a Navy SEAL, black ops, and he talked about the CIA and traveling. And he'd say things like, I do what I do so people like you can sleep at night. Now, the real people who do those roles, they don't advertise it. It's a matter of life and death to them. So they don't go around saying things like that. But he makes out he's a tough guy leading this exciting life and that he's very wealthy. And for Sama, he ticked a lot of boxes, just as John Meehan did for Deborah Newell. And unfortunately, sometimes women do see this as exciting and sexy, and the mysteriousness often adds to the allure of someone, rather than them questioning and challenging and seeing it as a potential red flag. And also, when someone withholds information, it's hard to form intimacy and trust and confidence. And again, this should be seen as a red flag and not as sexy and attractive. But he tells her that she's lucky that he's chosen her, and she calls him his tiny blonde human. This may look and sound like a term of endearment, but he's sowing the seed that he's not human, that he is a higher, purer form. That may sound bonkers, but we have to understand the context. And in the vegan yogi world, where there's much more spirituality and free-flowing and talk about energy and the fact that we're souls that traveled the earth many times before and so on. And he zeroes in on that. He zeroes in on her energy. He shapeshifts and he becomes what she needs him to be. And he mirrors and magnifies it back. So although he says that he's traveling a lot, he does keep in contact with her and tells her things like their souls have met before, these grand declarations. So in the cold light of day, we may judge that, but we have to understand the context and how he's grooming and conditioning Sama. Also in the docu-series, we hear from Stacy Strangis, the first wife. Stacy was a single mum when she met him. She married him after a whirlwind relationship, only three months into the relationship. Now notice that little voice in your head. What's it saying? Who are you judging right now, her or him? See how easy it is? Challenge it when it happens. You should be focusing on him and his behaviour. Strangers told Stacy that he was a millionaire and that he was a Navy SEAL. He has a grandiose sense of self-worth, setting himself up to be much more than he actually is in reality, and unfortunately, Stacy fell for him. In other words, he love-bombed her, charmed her, and gaslit her. Does that script sound familiar? Stacy got pregnant early on in the relationship, Again, what's that little voice saying? Who are you judging, her or him? Identify it, observe it, and challenge it. Strangest, when he knew that she was pregnant, talked about how you can use salt and kill a baby and no one would ever know. I mean, how utterly abhorrent. I had a visceral reaction to that. But that's the measure of who he really is. His family history is interesting and explains a lot to me. It doesn't excuse his behaviour, but it provides another lens to see him through and understand his decisions and life choices. We learn that his father was a violent drunk and that he was also a police officer and that his father held his family hostage with a gun. Now, no doubt this was one of a number of events and this would have had a huge negative impact on the young strangers. If he were regularly exposed to child abuse and domestic abuse, that would have impacted negatively on his psychosocial development and how he went on to treat women and children. And for his father, being a police officer, there was no accountability for his actions. 
And that may have given Strangers the sense that he could do anything and not be held accountable. And also, he may well have learned about the criminal justice system from his father being a police officer, like how to get away with things. So he had a child with Stacy, but he walked out one day without any warning and never went back. Again, that says a lot about who he is, how he takes no responsibility and has no loyalty or bond to his family, even to his own child. What a callous individual. And it seems that no one who knows Strangest has anything good to say about him. Ellie Strangest, his stepmother, said this, I don't know how she got mixed up with Anthony, a woman like her. What did she see in him? Strangest's half-brother, John Strangest, said, even as a teenager, he wanted to live that millionaire-type lifestyle, but he didn't want to put any work into doing it. He was still on probation for his 2005 Sarasota County grand theft charges stemming from the sale of his father's Jaguar to a man for $20,000, according to his ex. There are some other key points I'd like to make. When Strangers came on the scene, Sama's personality changed. She became more introverted, and she paid less attention to the running of the restaurant. She stopped replying to messages. She was isolated. Her life started to go off the rails. Strangers started to take over more and more. He gaslit everyone, especially Sama. The way that he controlled her and micromanaged and regulated her was under the guise of helping her. He brought in Will Richards, a so-called IT expert to help with security, allegedly to keep him and her safe. Now this guy constantly fed Sama that she should trust Strangers and she should hand over all her passwords and accounts so that he could protect her. That meant that Will, in inverted commas, knew everything about Sama. Now we know that Will was Strangers, so he had access to everything. Now I thought this part in the docuseries was done well, so we could be in her shoes, and the reveal came later on that Will was Strangers. And of course, Will was always prioritizing strangers, playing into the reality distortion that he was more important in the relationship and Sama was less important. And this person became Sama's go-to. Remember, strangers was away a lot. Well, the reality was that he was away gambling all her hard-earned money in casinos. And so Sama confided in Will. So Strangest knew her most private thoughts and he controlled and manipulated everything she did by proxy. He had thought it all through. He knew exactly what he was doing. He even called her in a restaurant while she was with a friend using the house phone to reinforce the message. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. I'm omnipresent and omnipotent. In other words, he was stalking her in the relationship now, this illustrates to me the total level of mind control he sought and put in place. He played games with her and no doubt enjoyed it. It's all about power and control. And ironically, she was grateful that he chose her because these were the things that he and also Will said to her over and over again. So the Will character plays an important role. Sama believes that Will is independent and a person in his own right, and he becomes her echo chamber and she trusts him. And of course, Strangest ups the ante with the tests that he gives her to see if she can handle being with him and whether she's worthy of his wealth. I mean, what utter BS. Who does he think he is? That's what I wrote as my note. But it's important to underline that these tests serve a purpose. 
Not only do they make clear who's in charge, but they also set up a reward and punishment process. And rewards and punishments are classic tactics of a coercive controller. What also jarred for me was the fact that strangers took over Sama's successful restaurant and started telling the staff what to do. The arrogance of this guy is astounding. I mean, he has no history or experience in the restaurant business, and yet he waltzes in and tries to run the show. He says the staff would be rewarded tenfold, and yet he had no capital. Nothing. He just talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. And of course, some of the staff saw through this. So I also want to underline that Strangest tried to insert himself in all Sama's relationships, and in particular her family. He emailed and messaged them, trying to corral them into meeting him on his own without Sama present. He tried to sow the seed that he was worried about her mental health. I call that pseudo-caring behaviour, but her father and sister didn't fall for it. But unfortunately, her mother did. He stole $450,000 from Sama's mother without her knowing, and her mum gave him the money willingly, thinking it was in Sama's best interests. Strangers told her mother that she had outbursts and made threats, that she was bulimic, had abortions, was on antidepressants and was on the verge of a mental breakdown. And her mother, rather ironically, thought she was helping Sama, but he was just taking the money and spending it on himself. Now that did upset Sama in the interview, knowing this and the fact that he went behind her back. And again, this is a huge red flag. It's also quite a common tactic of a coercive controller to sow that seed that the victim has mental health issues or needs extra care. And the fact that he's getting her family to look at her behaviour, well, that distracts them from looking at his. Another important point is that he kept her phone to isolate her further, and he told people not to call her and that they should call him. He's gatekeeping every aspect of her life until she has no one else but him. Now again, with coercive control and coercive controllers, this is one of the most common plays by the abuser, and I've seen it repeat over and over again, with abusers turning family members, work colleagues, friends, all the people around the victim that they eventually either drive a wedge in the relationship or they turn everyone against the victim or prevent them from contacting the victim. And the victim, well, they believe that they're not liked, that they're not loved and that no one cares for them. And the victim just feels so alone. That isolation is so, so hard. They feel unloved, hated even, and untethered. It gets to you. It got to Sama. Remember, she was used to working hard and having people around her in a busy, hustle-bustle restaurant environment. And her world was slowly reduced and boiled down to, well, just him. It also plays into the deep-seated and widespread misogyny that women are mad, hysterical, fragile, crazy and psycho. All these things that I've talked about in my episodes about Britney Spears. I believe from everything I've seen and what I've heard is that Sama was walked into oblivion by strangers. She gave up on everything. She let him make all the decisions. He took control of her life. But yet he wasn't successful at anything of his own that he did. She gave up. She stopped eating. She was unravelling. She was psychologically undone. He took everything from her and she lost herself. He eroded her agency, her autonomy and her self-confidence. And I don't believe he had a plan either. And often, psychopaths are good in the moment. They're good tacticians, but they're terrible strategists. There's no end game. And whilst they were on the run, she told him that he had tortured her for four and a half years. And I believe that that's the most accurate and revealing truth of what was going on. And remember... 
Detective Bush said that Strangis and Sama were staying in two separate hotel rooms during their 40-day and 40-night stay at the Tennessee Hotel. He actually said this, She's not fond of him. We could tell that. Right before they were taken to our detention facility, I said to Sama, give Strangis a hug, give him a kiss, and she didn't want to. He said she would not address why the couple was staying in separate rooms. Well, I dare say she didn't feel comfortable talking to two hurly-burly male officers. I mean, Sama's case is off the charts in terms of the number of red flags and indicators that she was the victim of coercive control. Yet still, the media focus on Sama and her behaviour, portraying her as the pizza-eating femme fatale. Now, although this is mentioned in the Netflix docuseries, unfortunately, the show doesn't help Sama. In fact, it does the opposite. It just presents the behaviour... And the viewer has to work out what's going on and what it all means. It left many feeling very confused. And if you're like me, I felt quite angry that the end implied that she was back in touch with him due to the use of that extract from a 2019 call between them. And that particular call was made for the purpose of the docuseries. Strangers was and is a master manipulator, The use of will was an intentional act to gain total control of Sama by proxy. Strangest displayed such a callous disregard for the people in his life, including his own child. His ability to manipulate, that's what's worthy of attention. We shouldn't be distracted by focusing on what Sama did or didn't do. And when you look at a simple timeline, it all went wrong for Sama when Strangest entered her life. And this is perhaps the most telling red flag of them all. Be warned, he will do it again to the next woman, and the next woman after her. I mean, he took, and lost, six million dollars. It wasn't even his money to lose, as he didn't earn it. And let's remember, it wasn't Sama spending all the money, and the fact that the restaurant was still making money shows that she was really good at what she was doing. And I can't help but wonder what her true potential would have been if she'd been able to continue on her path and hadn't met strangers. It really is a sliding door in life, whether you come under the gaze of a coercive controller or fall under the lens of a psychopath. And unfortunately, Sama, much like Deborah Newell, well, she was the perfect target. She and Strangis each pleaded guilty. Sama to grand larceny, criminal tax fraud, and a scheme to defraud, and Strangis to four counts of fourth-degree grand larceny. And they were sentenced to jail time and restitution. Sama served a total of four months and went into prison when he had come out, having served one year. No one posted his bail, and that again speaks volumes. They were both sentenced to five years probation, as if somehow they were equal partners in crime. But Strangest is the one who walks away with no debt, having spent all Sama's money, and Sama's the one that has to pick the threads back up of her life, with so much debt hanging over her. She lost literally everything, bar her dog Leon. Sama has to live with the consequences of her decisions and the way the media framed her. He wasn't framed or centred in the same way, and everyone should question and challenge that. In my opinion, it's blatant misogyny and the patriarchy at work, and the fact that it was a conscious decision to leave experts out of the docuseries having spoken to an expert about coercive control, and that didn't make it into the show, well, I have to ask why not. I have to question that. And then to end the series with the call between Sama and Strangers, where they're seemingly laughing and joking. 
Well, that just serves to create that final twist and forces us to question Sama's behaviour all over again and challenge everything that we've seen before of her. Now, I believe that this is why so many think she may well have been in on it. It is, after all, the last bite that we're left with, and it really leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. It's intentionally misleading and has serious repercussions for Sama and also for abusers and would-be abusers watching it. I'm so sick of serial abusers being given a pass, both within the criminal justice system and with women being framed in the media. It only serves to greenlight men to do bad things to women. So I'm going to end saying this. Be careful who you let into your life. Never allow someone to isolate you or to insert themselves in your relationships or surrender to them. Never give up being who you are for someone else or living to meet their needs when yours are being ignored. And if you're a woman with a story to tell, take great care who you entrust to tell it. Until next time, crime analysts, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.